Chapter Six of From Mud to Mufti by Bruce Barron's Father. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Six: Handing Over, Arrival at Divisional HQ. I dig myself in. Instructions for most military movements are run on the same lines as instructions for attending medical boards. You get a curt wire about two hours before you have to start. As a general rule, the more drastic the move you have to make, the less warning you get. For instance, if you have got to be at a lecture one day, you will probably be told about it a week in advance. If you've got to go to the front, which entails packing, collecting everything you may need, handing over your company and saying goodbye, you will probably get a wire half an hour before starting. This exodus of mine to the new division was arranged just in this way. I had to shin off from the island with the greatest rapidity. I collected all my worldly goods and handed over my company to another captain. Handing over meant, in my case, palming off a set of disorganized accounts and paying for all losses out of my own pocket. I forget exactly what it cost me this time but I know that running a company is an expensive amusement unless you are very careful. Early one morning my valise and I set forth on this new life. We left from cows and watched the island fade into the mist as we glided up the Solent. Salisbury Plain was where rumor said this new division lived. In due course I arrived there. Pretty vague that, I know, for Salisbury Plain is a vast expanse, larger than something or other, and nearly as big as anything you like. No, the Germans are not going to get any information out of me. At the time of which I write, enormous numbers of soldiers were quartered all over the plain in different parts. It was winter time and phenomenally wet, so it really represented life in a leviathan bog. There were many divisions there. Each, of course, had a divisional headquarters, and then each divisional headquarters had a divisional general. It was just like a lot of bees in several different swarms. Each day the bees would all stagger forth into the treacle roundabout and mix with each other, practicing field days, route marches, and all that sort of thing. And at night all the different hives would swarm round their various queen bee divisional commanders again. It was to this humming hive of industry that I came. I arrived at the station frequented by my particular swarm and inquired the way to their hive. The divisional headquarters was, I found, about three miles from the station. I got hold of a taxi, and putting my traps into it, drove off through the squalid little town out into the country towards Divisional HQ. This part of Salisbury Plain I was in was certainly one of the best parts, but there is not much choice. Except for the fact that it isn't shelled and mutilated, it is nearly as bad as the front to look at. In fact, if someone would lend me a couple of howitzers for a day, I could make quite a passable imitation of the Somme Valley near Freecourt out of Salisbury Plain. I drove along in the taxi, full of interest, combined with a certain amount of nervousness at the coming new job that lay before me. It was all so very different to the front. It's far easier to be one of the crowd doing a real job and putting everything you do to a practical and immediate use, than having to demonstrate the same things to warfare students in the security of Salisbury Plain. The HQ of the division had a very charming house situated in very charming grounds. HQs always know what they are about as regards where they are going to fix up. No bell tents for them, and quite right, too. For the complications and impedimenta necessary for running a division, particularly a new one in course of formation, are beyond comprehension. 
I shot along the curved gravel drive in the taxi and pulled up in front of the noble front door of the mansion. Here I was at last. No hope of escape now. Having discharged my taxi, I entered, and broke the news of my arrival as gently as possible. As luck would have it, there was already an officer doing the job I was booked for, and although he was leaving to return to France, his departure had been postponed for another week. This was very fortunate for me, as I soon found out how he had arranged things, and what was the correct method to adopt. He was a most expert machine-gunner, and had put in a long and arduous time in the Ypres salient. He had been wounded at Ypres on the same day on which I received my knockout at the same place, although he was, of course, in another regiment and in a different part of the show. I went to see him the night I arrived, and finding him down at his hut, talked the whole thing over. For a week I lived up at the divisional chateau and daily absorbed his methods for instruction. At the end of that time he left, I bagged his hut, and started on the job by myself. A point which may strike readers here is, why bag his hut when you are living at the chateau? There were two reasons. First and foremost, I far prefer a hut to a chateau. I am much happier in a matchboard box with a corrugated iron roof and a smoky stove than in one of England's sumptuous country-house bedrooms. My line is rough, straightforward, masculine freedom in simple surroundings, and I deteriorate mentally and physically to a ridiculous degree in grand houses. The other secondary reason for leaving the chateau was that it was getting rapidly filled up with more important people than I, and rooms were getting scarce. I went to the huts, as I have said, and felt better all round. The huts were attached to a brigade headquarters. A division contains a number of brigades. I was now living with a brigade, although on the divisional staff. End of chapter 6 Recording by Philip Gould